All right, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks uh, for having before me. Before we have, we start episodes, but this podcast, we have the guests um, select what they want to dedicate it for. Like oh. a person, place, or any kind of subject. So what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Well, you know, uh, today there was another shooting um, right. in uh, in Florida, uh, Jackson. Jacksonville, and, video game, uh, video game convention. Right. Yeah, and uh, so why don't we uh, why don't we you know send some you know the thoughts and prayers things that's that's frustrating, but why don't we actually uh, you know keep this stuff top of mind and, and remember uh, elections are coming up and um, right. you know yeah. these are the the reasons that um, we we need to be politically active and. Uh, yeah, Get that, out I and guess vote. that's what I'd say. Yeah. All right, I like it. I love it. All right, we're back. We have Lucas Munson with us. Comic book writer. He's written Resin Gaman, uh, Siamese, Siamese, Alpha X, Alpha uh, X. a couple other things right. that are hoping. Alpha to, X was a compilation. Right? It was, yeah, yeah. I wrote it with um, Dave Jensen, uh, yeah. TC3 alum Dave Jensen, and right. um, yeah, illustrated by almost every single guy in that in that collection. So for you, writing aspect is more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I do very little illustration. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have one tiny little uh, panel edit okay. in Alpha X is the only uh, published illustrated thing that I have ever done, nor probably will ever do. Uh, illustrating is not my strong suit. And definitely, we'll put up the links on the info where Thanks, everybody man. can find it. Uh, we have a couple of announcements to uh, begin the episode. So I made an announcement that there were going to be important messages. Number one, I do have my Indiegogo for my comic book up. So if you go on Indiegogo and you look the Greenway comic book, it's up there if you want to take a look. Um, so it is going to happen in a couple months. Number two, um, I will be uh, hosting a panel discussion at Crypticon this year, nice. Saturday, October 27th. And we're going to talk about podcasting and the benefits of independent filmmaking being on podcasts. That's awesome. So, Congrats you, on you ever that. go to comic, Crypticon? I've never been to Crypticon. I've heard it's great. Uh, I, I had so many friends that enticed me to go, but yeah. like after the fall, it's kind of... You know, it's like yeah. you almost forget about it. Right. I, yeah. So, um, and the, uh, the special announcement is we are hosting a contest in honor of Crypticon. In accordance with Crypticon, we're holding a contest exclusively with this podcast. Um, simply, um, the contest is um, what you do on Twitter with the hashtag Crypticon Filmcast Contest. So that's Crypticon with a C, Filmcast Contest. Uh, with your Twitter handle, just name your favorite movie, and you'll be selected on a numerical, how you put it in, by number, and there'll be a drawing. You can win two passes, regular passes, to Crypticon for the weekend. Wow. So That's it's a nice great. little thing that they hold up. So all you have to nice. do is it's on Twitter. It's exclusively on Twitter um, with your Twitter handle. Um, name your favorite horror movie, and then use the hashtag Crypticon Filmcast Contest. What's and your then, favorite horror movie, Nick? I was going to ask you first, but uh, oh. uh, my favorite one is Jacob's Ladder. I've never seen that one. you never seen Jacob's no, Ladder? No, I'm going to have to catch it. Oh, you got to find it. Yeah. It's Tim Robbins. Yeah. And it's one of those things he doesn't know if he's going crazy. You know what? I think I actually just downloaded it on iTunes. It was yeah. one of the $5 special week things. Right. And I'm pretty sure that I actually just downloaded it. 
Uh, now that you said it's a Tim Robbins thing, I'm pretty right. sure I did. I looked at the reviews and they were like, he's you know, a Vietnam great. vet, but he comes back yes. as a mailman and he definitely downloaded this. He's slowly nice. seeing things that don't really make sense. Yeah. Right? Like somebody oh, nice. walk by somebody in a parked car, but all of a sudden they see like, he looks disturbingly weird. So okay. he really doesn't know if he's going crazy. Yeah, right. I do like those psychological ones that mess you up. You know yes, what the person? Yep. yep. That, if I'm crazy or is the whole world going right. crazy? Twilight Zone stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, my favorite is It Follows. Did you catch It Follows? Is that recent? Yeah, within the last five years. Yeah. Um, it's an STD uh, that you you know you 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 have sex with somebody who's infected and then. Unless you pass it on, right. some level of horror comes to get you, and uh, and then it keeps. So, like, if yeah. you're the last one, right, yep. and then you get got, then it goes after whoever right. you slept it's with, like a, I, and it I've keeps going yeah. back down. Uh, it's incredible. Right. Uh, f- on many levels, it is also fairly psychological, um, but it's the only time that I've ever seen a horror movie where the protagonist becomes also in an element, the evil. Right. Uh, yeah. Because of how they handle what's going on around them. Uh, it is, it's spectacular. And uh, it's not like the, the gore fest kind of thing, you know? No, I remember uh, seeing it's very, it's got that foreboding the whole yes, time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and it doesn't really explain itself all that well at the beginning, and so it's really a, a just a blast, to, you know, going into it. Well, now I've kind of already told you enough about it that you can't go into it cold at this point. But no. uh, you know, yeah, it it doesn't let up. It's it's interesting and compelling and uh, and very tense the whole way through. I think it's a masterpiece. You know, speaking of which, before we move on to two thousand one. Um, I think in the last two years, horror movies have gotten better. Oh, I would wholeheartedly <laughs> I mean, agree. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, you could do an episode just on the great horror movies last two years and you could just fill up an episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They've gotten much better. Yeah. After being so stale for so long. I, I think so. I yeah. think so. So it follows. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Of, yeah. Amazing. It's spectacular. Yeah, and I recommend Jacob's Ladders. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm now I'm really glad at five bucks. I'm sure uh, I'm sure I got a steal. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to make a, a point of actually getting around to finally watching it. All right, all right. Uh, before we carry on to 2001, I want to mention. Uh, so, you, what's up for you for project wise? I'll come up. With- yeah, I am uh, Jeff Kulisek, uh, my yeah. illustrator for Risen Gaman, um, has moved down to Florida as of a couple years ago, and so um, and then some other life events. So you know, writing was on hold for me for a little bit of time. Right. Um, but uh, it's I'm I'm gonna start getting back into it here uh, very shortly. Good. And so the next actual thing that I'll be working on is um, the next chapter of Risen Gaman. And then uh, Jeff, or sorry, uh, Jack Cotts, my illustrator for Siamese, is currently finishing, quote unquote, remastering Siamese. It was, uh, you know, four individual issues, but we did it over such a long period of time that his style really changed fairly dramatically. It does happen. I noticed that when I did my own that it does. Yeah. Even from chapter to chapter. Yep. Yep. And so now he's gotten to the point where he's got a pretty consistent look. And so yeah. we're going back to the early chapters and making it stronger. Well, they, um, I mean, they say to the stand-up comedians, it takes, what, five years to find out oh, your, yeah, your, sure. your, what they call it, your voice, yep. how you manage yep. the stage. And it takes quite some time for artists to figure out your style, right? Yep. 
and so. and now you know he really has and so it's very fun to see him go back to the earlier work and as as much as we loved that early stuff it it just doesn't a stylistically feel cohesive yeah and then b he his chops are just better now and so you know when he's going back and redoing panels and pages and and seeing what he's coming up with Good. and going oh wow yeah that <laughs> that looks it looked fine before now it looks really great so uh yeah, doing the you know the remastered uh, Siamese, and then the last thing is a, a collaborative project called Four of a Kind, about uh, uh, I guess four poker games that are sort of linked. Uh, I do like this concept. Yeah, yeah. across uh, it's an interdimensional poker game, I guess I'll say. Right. So uh, yeah, that um, I'm hoping I'm hoping everything will be ready for SpringCon. It's still a bit of time away. We need yeah. a little more lead time to get all this stuff done, but. That's well, hopefully both of us have tables at Spring. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. And uh, I should, s- cycling back to your comic, I, I just had the pleasure of being able to page through some of the original pages, and um, and they're looking great, and I'm really looking forward to, to reading it and uh, spending a little money on the Indiegogo. So well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've done Indiegogo, too, before. Yeah, so. yeah. Alpha X, we actually funded through Indiegogo, yeah. and um, yeah, we had, I don't know, it's a $2,000 uh, goal. It's still, we, it, you know, the uh, nice thing is, is people... It's a nice thing that people are aware of it before you get it out there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, then yeah. you get the money to help you, you know, print out copies and um, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. It's great. It's great. All right. Well, we're moving on to a movie that turned fifty this year. Fifty so, years old. Uh, I don't know how old you are, but it's about eh, about ten, nine years older than I am. Okay, I'm thirty-seven, so, so it's, it's, got, a little, it's, got it's a little bit, a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, 2001. I'll give you a little bit personal. When's the first time you were aware of it? What time was the first time you saw it? You know, I think the first time I was aware of it is the episode of The Simpsons where Homer right. sits in the massage chair at the Sharper Image or whatever, <laughs> and all these colors start flashing by his because oh, yeah. it's like he's going through, uh, you know, this this the space the sp- what they call the Stargate. Stargate. Thank yeah. you. Yes, and um, and I knew it had to have been a cultural reference yes and i didn't know what it was of <coughs> yep and um stanley kubrick wasn't at all on my radar my my parents aren't really movie buffs okay uh i didn't really have friends that were movie buffs so i probably didn't even really know the name at that time or understand you know but the, you like you had to like this something if the simpsons reference it it has to be a cultural footnote exactly I, right yep yeah. exactly right. right and so uh, i i would be willing to bet the first time i watched it was late in high school and um this is very interesting because i would like to get your opinion for somebody that are of your age group yeah that come across this movie based on just you know pop call for renters and yeah. understand that this is a you know, achievement. But yeah. yeah, this is interesting that a lot of people didn't know about it before the Simpsons made an idea of it. That's probably true. Certainly yeah. people of a certain age, you know, like myself that yeah. wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have been around when it was immediately relevant. And then, um, you know, at home video, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough that home video was just in its infancy when I was young. I mean, we okay. had, I was one of the first people that I knew, I think that had a VCR and, uh, and it was kind of hard to find tapes and stuff, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't until DVD, I think, that I was able to kind of unlock some of these really right. seminal, important films. Uh, and this is probably one of them when I first got a DVD player. So the first time you saw it was on a home entertainment system. Yes. Then you went to see it this year in a theater. Yes, release. yes. Now, that has a different punch to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it was. And I don't think I have ever seen a movie that old 
on film in a theater before. I would be willing to bet because I can't ever remember seeing film and actually being able to tell that it was at a slower frame rate. Yeah. Because it's 24 frames a second guaranteed. And, um, And I think a lot of what I've ever seen is at least 30 when it's actually been on film. And so it has a distinctly different feeling and you can actually see, you know, in in some aspects you can see the shuttering of, you know, the, the film and it, it's, uh, it was, it was almost more, I felt like really connected to it as, as a physical medium for the, I've never felt, that the same be way weird. before that right. was really wild right because it's not digital at all no no um did they do the inter, um, um intermission because they did they yes did really? oh, right. yeah, yeah that okay. was that was wild too and that was great uh it took us by surprise because they don't have that on the dvd and that's all no, the it, only it, way it, i'd ever seen it. it and i knew they had in the original run put in an intermission it doesn't mean, I'm, I'm sure people now they intermit well what do we do yeah well, you could take a break. right what yeah and i think it's very important for that movie to have intermission because you have to digest all the stuff that yes. is not in there. And it's kind of, I guess I would call it three kind of distinct movies in one I of the would, way. Yeah, I would consider it almost know. like a triptych. Yeah, yes. Right. And and it made sense because the intermission, I believe, takes place just just between the moon scene and yeah. then when they're headed off to Jupiter afterward. And yeah. so it is a because there's a passage of time that happens there in the movie of 18 months. Right. And so it is a very nice spot. Sometimes I think intermission, you're going to run the risk of ruining something about the feeling or the pacing or the, you know. Yeah, and in, in, in movie theaters are really lobby hard not to because they think they're going to lose money well true um because they think your attention span or they're just going to leave the theater and go away after the mission because there's nothing guaranteed you'll come back right um i think the last movie that featured had intentionally had an intermission was uh gettysburg from 1994 wow and i think heat wanted to the movie heat yeah michael mann really lobby hard for it but um producers knocked it down it's not go for it so you're gonna have to sit there for three hours and ten minutes (laughs) right right right. but he didn't want that he wanted a break in the hour and a half and he thought he wrote it for an intermission and never had it came on come on so it's very interesting that if you go see them if you see an IMAX I think it might have any probably put the intermission involved into it. I, I would bet yeah. so can we talk a little bit about the yeah. the way that they did this film re-release do you have you are you aware of what they did for this well Christopher I, I, Nolan? I've come across I was doing my research today but yeah. I was coming across but what what is how did so I, I found this to be absolutely uh just just incredible you know there's there's some luck involved and then there's a lot of love involved so okay. um I think it's a Warner Brothers film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it doesn't have the lion roar in the beginning. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't remember. I feel like it was, but that doesn't really matter. Whoever was the archivist at the at the um, you know the uh, the production house, right? Yeah. Uh, and Christopher Nolan, uh, Interstellar, and uh, uh, yeah, the, what's Batman the other big stuff, one? Yeah. Well, yes, of course, all Batman the Batman's. Stuff, yeah. Um, but so uh, he wanted to do a re-release of the film on film. Nolan is still shooting on film. Dunkirk was on film. Yeah, it was shot in 100% IMAX. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, I don't know if it's cinematically footnote. It's wonderful because, uh, I don't want to, I mean, still, but this is important because of his push of uh, IMAX for The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, that the achievements of IMAX has now been incredible, that they can actually, it used to be a clunky 
80 pound thing yeah, that you right. you know and when they're right. filming this thing now it's so compact that you could put it inside of that cockpit of an airplane yes so i'm sure right when they told nolan you could put it in an airplane <sighs> i got an idea for a movie i'm in i'm writing a movie about airplanes <laughs> right. uh, so, so yeah it's it's wonderful achievement of i would imagine if they shot the movie now it would be 100 percent on imax yeah i said oh yeah well yeah, it, yeah i couldn't think of a movie better suited yeah to it's be almost, shot it's almost as IMAX. you wish yeah be. well and it does yeah. i mean it might as well feel it, it kind of feels like it's so big anyway yeah. well so so nolan and this archivist yeah. wanted to do this thing right okay and so they wanted to find the most pristine original film copy that they could okay and, and okay. luckily yeah. somebody at the at the uh at the studio had the wherewithal in the 90s to you know do something you know very uh intentional about preserving, preserving the, the negatives the negative but wow. they only had one there was only one that was a, a print quality enough to do this you right you got to be kidding me no and oh and the print the audio was terrible and there was uh there was another it, it was like a, it was like a junk print or something that it wasn't it wasn't really meant to be all that oh, important. I got a, yeah, this this extra footage, this night this extra footage you're referencing. Well, no, so this um, is it was another print of the film, same same oh, film, another print, but it wasn't film. designed to be like you know a, a, a high quality reference it, it didn't material. Get it, okay, so it didn't get into the post production of fine. Yes, yeah. perfect, but it had stellar audio. And so they took the audio off of this junker copy and lifted and lifted the audio Jesus. off of that. And then they took the, the, the video off of uh, this archive copy. But because of the, uh, the cultural value of this film, they did not want to risk hurting the original printing. And so they created something called an interpositive. And uh, it's like a it's like a reverse negative that you use to then make copies. So it's uh, in all ways that are important, identical to the original film. Yeah. Um, but in order to uh, make sure not to jeopardize this incredibly important, valuable monument of you know filmmaking, they made this interpositive, and so then they made the copies of that. And that's what was distributed around the country for Jesus. this 70 millimeter uh, re-release. Jesus. Yeah. So they, I mean, they really, and then of course, during all this too, they did a new print, uh, you know, scan or whatever for 4K. Yeah. And so it's coming out now, I think in October uh, on 4K for, for your home theater. And I'm pretty sure they gave it the Atmos treatment for the audio too. Right. Because I think the audio is in stereo. You might, yeah, you might be so right that's good, about yeah, that. So yeah, so even if you do it in, if you, it's still like a delicate process of transferring over. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about the extra footage that was shot. Yeah, I, was found I heard in they the, found that, yeah, kind of. No, well, that was in, when I was in college. And we had okay. a big announcement that they found um, about 19 minutes of footage because we talked about that a lot of um, negatives preserved for films be before the digital age. Um, were kept in a vault in Kansas, deep. It's miles deep yeah, down in a salt mine. In or a salt like mine because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't get moisture. Right. 
and no earthquakes. Only thing you have to worry about in Kansas is tornadoes. Well, if you're down on the ground, <laughs> right, yeah, really, right, you don't have to fine. worry about too much about earthquakes or anything. Right. But somebody just going through the catalog found this thing is like extra footage of 2001, which everybody was told Kubrick destroyed yeah. everything. He's, it just preserved what the film was. Burned it. Burned. He yeah. destroyed all. It's Demanded well known. He destroyed all the props so they could figure out yeah, how to do it and everything. Right. Right. But then this extra footage was found. There was about 19 extra footage of Donna Man and of the moon landing that didn't go through the extra process but they yeah. found it and they, yeah. like, i remember my teacher just being later he goes i'm going down there to watch this <sighs> because you don't matter how many film buffs are just or you know not really like film critics but people yeah. who teach and enthusiasts that, and then he's part of the film preservation society and yeah and okay cool we're all going down there like candy, kids in a candy store just awesome. like a pilgrimage <laughs> to uh, 19 minutes of outtakes right that's yeah, awesome something just click you know that's yeah. awesome so you saw it actually in uh, theater. Yep. And so, I mean, how many times have you think you've seen it? Uh, I would say maybe six, six five or six, five. probably. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it uh, it diminishes the viewing experience to watch it too often. It's kind of a uh, you get diluted. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about it. I and so I actually just I rewatched it. Uh, two nights ago so that I'd, I'd feel like real comfortable talking about it tonight and but I was doing other stuff because I didn't want to you know when it's you've seen something too recently and it, you uh, know I didn't want to so I was you know looking at Facebook and doing a couple of things in the room while it was playing so I knew what was going on but I didn't want to clue myself all the way in because I didn't want to you know yeah. uh, rub the shine off or something you know it's amazing how people say that movie is quiet there's very little actual of quiet right right it's actually very noisy yeah but the noises aren't just of shouting everything it's the world's right. greatest soundtrack is what right you're listening it's, to, it's yeah. um and the, the amazing thing is when we watched it like a kid in the 80s none of that technology was available obviously we had things we didn't have a space station right we didn't have skype right when the, right i mean that was the greatest achievement is like how would you get to t- communicate visually communicate on a telephone um, the only, I think the movie has everything we could possibly do, except we don't have commercial flights to a space. We don't, we don't have Pam Man anymore. That's right. right. But yeah, I'm trying to think. The, the idea there was going to put something of a reference of an internet. There was yeah, gonna, I read the, that too. I there read was going to put something like Kubrick wanted a, a screen to show a scrolling screen to read a newspaper. It was going to say New York Times, but I think he just cut it because it was just wasn't a reference to the movie. The movie's going too long, but he, there wasn't a concept of putting some kind of internet on there. Yeah, yeah. And, and if so, again, I like I say, I watched a couple nights ago, and I think at some point he is reading like an e-book, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah. On a, on a he is playing thin, chess. He's, and he's playing video chess. <laughs> yeah. And then they do watch yeah. the BBC footage on what is essentially an iPad. Um, and like a tablet. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. And there's so many things, like you said about the video, um, the video call. And so I, when I was watching it the other night, I'm going for a modern. So let's say, you know, today an 18 year old watches this. And I think that they would feel a little perplexed as to why is it important to include a six minute phone conversation with the girl before her birthday about her birthday party with her dad there's it doesn't it's unnecessary from a plot standpoint yeah but no one had seen something like that in real life of course now we have facetime but that was obviously science fiction right yeah and i'm thinking about it going it's incredible that he spent the amount of time to do the world building in the movie to flesh out 
how far we had come technologically and yeah. that these were marvels. It's amazing scene though because if you yeah. look at the back of the shot of yes. So, so it's almost like the moon spinning, moon there, spinning yeah, as the, he's talking, generating the gravity. And it's wonderful. And, like he has a very cinematic consciousness that yeah. we're going to have this long conversation. People are going to be amazed by this video conference yes. that's not available yet. Right. But we have to have something moving. Yeah. And he put the moon as a rotation. Yeah. And it shows how I think it's kind of like a metaphor how this is marvel that we can communicate visually, but it's insignificant to what's going on out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. He had uh, he had uh, without knowing it he had. Uh, predicted that we'd all be lost in our phones, ignoring everything right. happening around us. <laughs> Another yeah. Kubrick uh, original. Uh, well, I think I, everybody has their own theories about the movie. I really think it's a evolution of tool making, of machinery. Sure. And to the point that machinery dominates their life. I think he really want to emphasize it. It's certainly, or, or and even, you know, questioning. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah Hal is Hal, Hal is the tool, um, and they rely too too much on him yeah, to right. the point that he thinks perfection. I need, and you guys are ruining my perfection. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say something too about the quiet you mentioned. People think of it as a quiet movie. What I think is, and this is something I noticed the very first time. I remember watching it, going, "None of these spaceships are making any sound." And I had already right. known from you know physics class or whatever that you don't have sound in outer space. It no, should it's be the quiet. Star, Star Wars, the vernacular. Yeah. BMs. yeah, there is no sound. Yeah, and so uh, and every single time I watch it, I still go, "Thank you, Kubrick, for making it quiet and including the soundtrack and nothing else in these outer space scenes because there's something very." Uh, it's almost like a ballet, you know, it's like, it's uh, almost like a structured ballet going yeah. out, out there. Yeah. I mean, and the misnomer is we always think outer space is out there. We're in here, but we don't think of that. The earth is inside yeah. the universe. We're yeah. actually, right. you know, even though we're in our house, we're in the universe. We're we, always, we always assume like earth is home and everything is outside, yeah. right. Right. but we're actually in part of it. It's kind of like, a, we always, it's always the little lies we tell us Yeah, to keep yeah. going. But I, um, I would mention, yeah, the Dawn of Man. I was actually surprised because when I watched it, I had no nobody teaching me or telling me. I had everybody told me this is a great movie. You have to right. see it. If you like movies, you have to see this movie. Right. And then the first five minutes, like, what, the, what, what is this? <laughs> yeah, right. right. What is going on here? <laughs> um, do you feel like so? How old were you when you first saw it? Do you think I was a, when my parents, my dad tried to get me to watch it as okay. a because he loves flight. Okay. Exploration. He yeah. loved it. As a, he thought he, I would like this movie, and I just didn't have the patience for it. I right. grew up on Star Wars and Raiders, yeah, and I would sit down right. and watch this movie. No, no. And it wasn't until I got conscious about movies that I sat down to watch it. Probably about early teens. Okay. And I was like, "This is. You, there's nothing compared to it. Nothing. There's nothing like you can say this. This is a. It's you know you like this movie, then you can like this movie. It right. stands by itself. Right. And there's so many movies that it spawned from. I right. don't think we get Star Wars without it. No, I wouldn't think so. I don't think we get anything. And um, prior to that, I think the motivation for Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke was sci-fi movies stunk before that. Yeah, I, I read a quote. Uh, yeah, that that. So the initial letter that Kubrick sent to Arthur C. Clarke was, "I don't think we've seen a good sci-fi movie yet." And I think Clarke paraphrased somewhere of "Challenge accepted." Let's yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, and and his, his wonderful history. articulate English. He's part much said, "Challenge accepted." Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm wondering when you first watched it, yeah, and you you sat there watching the Dawn of Man with the mime the mimes in monkey costumes that are 
incredibly hyper-realistic that if you aren't paying close attention, you'll just assume that they got some ace. This is one of the minuses of the movie because it came out in 68. At the same time, prior to this movie coming out, Planet of the Apes came out. (laughs) And so you have two sci-fi movies involving apes, and a lot of people love the concept of Planet of the Apes and Uh. how they talked and everything. And here you have apes who just act like apes, right? And it took a minus from the movie to actually gain a separation from the two alike, even though people thought in reality, they thought they really needed to hire apes for the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would not fault you for having, especially if you hadn't seen it recently. Oh yeah. yeah the scene with all the apes, how'd they get those apes to do that stuff? Right. Uh, it's, it's so incredibly well done that, that a bunch of mimes just watched gorillas in the mist uh, footage from uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, the, the Gorilla's Mist gorilla. with Sigourney Weaver. Well, yeah, yeah, well, or, or yeah or but who was Jane Goodall? They watched yeah, video Jane. footage of sorry, the gorillas. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. They watched video footage that Jane Goodall had taken, and then they went to the public zoo and just sat in front of the apes and, yeah. and then just mimed them and then got into costume and just did the same thing. And then, minus the actual uh, apes, ch- babies. The, right. There are actual monkeys, right? Yeah. But it's all it's all people. But it took away because people didn't really believe that this is a costume. That they, yeah. didn't, they didn't think they hired actually trained that's, monkeys to believe that's it. So wild. But it's a wonderful, and I think the evolution of man it had had something like that it had to happen, where you had a they didn't carve a tool or anything to discover that this could be used. Right. Right. And that gave them an upper advantage. It had to have something of that way, and it had to be violent. I don't think it had to be something peaceful. Which yeah. I think he's trying to emphasize. I th- oh, absolutely, 100%. I don't think somebody's like, oh, great, I can use this. Let's do something positive. With it. I think it, the initial was, now I'm dominant. Uh, either that or food. I, I think yeah. if you can get a tool to, to get yourself some food and then a tool to get rid of your uh, your competition for food, that yeah. that would be my guess. But it's a wonderful shot of oh, him yeah. discovering what I could use this for. Yeah, right. It's and it's a, and I read this today. It was the only scene in the film when they when they're shooting the monkey from below the the monkey my man the from monkey. below is the only f- uh, film they took outside of a soundstage. Really? Yeah, it's a natural setting because it does look staged. Uh, well, yeah. it's in a parking lot somewhere what? in Cal- yeah parking lot in California somewhere, and they stuck a uh, I think it was in California. They stuck like this plinth thing that this monkey man could stand on and they shot it from real low to the ground so you couldn't see that they're just in like you know a parking suburban lot. parking you lot. You think he's in the rocky terrain that you've been yeah. seeing the whole time. Yeah, no, yeah. and it's all it's in, entire everything yeah, else. Movies is are magic. They just give that illusion. But so, that's wonderful. So what I want to know is the first time that you see the monolith. Right. Do you do you remember having any sort of a, a, a reaction the, to the monolith? I remember as a kid when he saw the reaction to the monolith that this is something eerie. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. It was frightening, but it wasn't like like a horror movie. Right. It's something unsettling. And I, right. And it, it's almost like something that's observing, not interfering, more or less an observer. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one thing that Kubrick was struggling with. Obviously, it's coming from the book, The Sentinel, which uses. Yeah. Um, is something of a shape that aliens constructed that's like a marker for all the steps and in a way of achievement Uh, ones on the moon make yourself go to the moon yes right ones in jupiter that's gonna make humans go to the jupiter exactly and the monolith's gonna get yeah it's almost like a footnote to get you going yep so right when they discover they make tools it's or before they discover tools it's there yeah Yeah. now so i feel like that influenced i feel like it yeah. was uh the alien 
if creatures or whatever. I yeah. feel like that was them influencing and and providing the catalyst. I yeah, I almost think it like it's Joel pointing to the direction. Yes, of, <laughs> right. Yep. You need to go this way. You yeah, go that way. Yeah, that was my yeah. take on it. I'm wondering if you felt the same way. It did. It did. It did. It did. It it, it looks like because you don't see aliens, and I think that's what right. Kubrick struggled with. He wanted yeah. to present some way of showing aliens, but then Carl Sagan is said any presentation of an alien is going to look human. You only have a human right. construct of what a form is. <laughs> and so it's always better just to have the suggestion right. of them navigating you. And I think that was the smart way to go. Right. Because why would these aliens need to be present if they're this And it would look, it would, it'd be a big subtraction. Yeah. Because right. you, you know, that's and then it's a monster movie. And this is yeah. what was wrong with so many prior science fiction slash outer space movies from earlier than this film is right. that you know, costumes can only go so far, and budgets are only so big, and there is no CGI and all this. Well, other it was great stuff. when uh, Spielberg did Close Encounters. He used children as aliens because <laughs> they're short and they, they, yeah. they walk weird, and they right. Grab, so they right, <laughs> right. We're just gonna backlight. To we're just gonna too. use backlighting. We have kids, and they're gonna act like <laughs> just just uh, act like kids and grab. Yeah. Did you know uh, that uh, Kubrick had tried to take out an insurance policy? On the film, have you heard this? Anecdote? You know, I, I came across this a long time ago, and I you just ref, I'm getting my bearings about yep. hearing about this. So he he was worried because of the space race and all the uh, actual word. real life goings on around the moon landing and all these other things. He was convinced that we would make first contact, or maybe not convinced, but he was paranoid that we would make first contact in real life with actual aliens prior. Prior to the release of the film, which would then eliminate any need for his film because he was worried that uh, he would have had it wrong and then it would have been too unbelievable for anyone to have paid any attention to it because... It had now become reality. It's obsolete. This movie was now. obsolete. Yeah. And yeah. Lloyd's of London said, "No, we're not comfortable selling you an insurance policy. policy. <laughs> we think that the odds are so ludicrously small that we wouldn't feel right about taking your money." I think and it, so. They declined to insure it. It's a wonderful story because it shows the mind of Kubrick. Yeah. He's always uh, somebody. I'm, I'm. I'm not diagnosed, but the way I've watched many documentaries of him and doing multiple takes and being obsessive, he is obsessive compulsive. Not sure. so much of a disorder. He's functioning. Right. But he's so compelled on something like 2001 that he, until the movie, even after the movie release, he's so obsessed with it and so multiple takes and perfection that yeah. he did. I mean, that I'm sure that he thought in his mind, we're it's going to be we're in a race. I need to get this movie done, and I'm sure once I get it done, that we have, a, have another discovery, and then this is all garbage. Yeah. And, well, and so talk about obsessive compulsive. They shot 200 times more film than they used. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Imagine uh, imagine right. the cost of that film stock. Well, there's there's known that when he did Eyes Wide Shut, he did 98 takes of Tom Cruise coming through a door. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it, Unbelievable. Just coming through a door. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It that was doesn't, doesn't, All right. Try again. And yeah. I think that's, well, I think. I think Jack Nicholson was always crazy, but sure. after doing The Shining with, oh yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> something rattled loose in there right. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I think now what we know about science now and all the discoveries like dark matter and holographic principles and all the stuff, the contributions. I think Kubrick and Clark would be amazed. 
Oh, yeah. I'm just absolutely amazed. Because when the movie came out, it's almost like a quiet ballet. That's what they presented. That's what the universe is. Everything is yeah. symphonic and harmonic. But now we're discovering it is a violent, brutal universe <laughs> out there. And it's trippy as heck. Yeah. I mean, there's we are the we are the anomaly. We're finding out that there's galaxies that are just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think they would be completely just, that's what it is, really. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, I, I guess I also don't necessarily feel like they might have changed a whole lot no, you're right. either. Because it's still, it's incredible that it's still an amazingly relevant piece of film. Um, obviously, we're speaking just, in the year yeah. 2018, so they got the timeline wrong. But we've already sort of talked about some of the things that they've, yeah. that they've sort of stumbled upon that have become truth. And... I don't see why there wouldn't be any reason why at some point if we continue funding space exploration that you wouldn't have Concorde flights to, you know, the moon base with uh, artificial gravity on an, you know, spinning, uh, you know, yep. disc kind of a thing like they did. I mean, it's just it was so well based and thought of from a scientific perspective. And with all of NASA's input, they, I mean, they hired NASA consultants and um that, but I, yeah, I don't know if they would have changed it much. I had to look slow and quiet because anything fast and speedy cheapened it, right? Yeah. It had to look like you're picking up a guy in outer space. It had to yes. take your time and right. maneuver. Right. And this is how actually it is. Well, and if you've ever watched yeah. any of the actual live space stuff happening, none of it happens fast. Right. Uh, there's a precision and uh, science involved. And, and I think it it's – I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm no, sorry. But no. I think it's very important that I think – and consciously, I think Kubrick can – Clark made an emphasis that the guy with the most personality is the computer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was, I, somebody, somebody, I was reading something and somebody was saying that, uh, Hal, Hal didn't have a, a malfunction. He was just pissed off that the guy got that birthday message from his parents and he just couldn't give more of a crap about it. And he just, <laughs> you know, the thing he says afterward, the only thing he says a, a little, a little lower, please, Hal to recline a little bit more. Like he couldn't have given two craps that his parents spent the time to bake him a cake that he's obviously never going to be able to eat. Yep. And uh, wished him all these, you know, very nice uh, pleasantries for his birthday. And dude's like, nah, whatever. And so Hal just was like, screw this. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't even with with these people. I'm just, that's that's it. I'm done with these guys. <laughs> so, yeah, it's based on Arthur C. Clarke's short story called The Sentinel or The Sentinel of Eternity. I mean, it was a failed contest entry. Oh, interesting. Uh, for the BBC. And it was a failed entry. But... Um, the reason how they got in contact was Kubrick was talking to his publicist, and he's like, I want to do a, a movie about my next project is probably want to do something about extraterrestrials. And I think his last name is his first name is Roger something. He goes, You need to talk to my best friend, Arthur yeah. C. Clarke. And then that was when they got the note and, and they corresponded. They used it's uh, they used Sentinel as a reference. And then I think Arthur C. Clarke wrote the book after collaborating with the movie 2001 i i am of the understanding that they wrote them at the same time okay uh and that the book deviates from the movie in some ways because they were constantly making adjustments to the screenplay yep. and i don't know that arthur c clark had full insight into all of the changes yeah. As they were happening. And so there is a I've never read the book. I don't know if, if you have and I don't know the level of deviation. Um, but, yeah, I think that they were concurrently being produced from what I understand. Yep. Um, and 
what the most significant change is the monolith because in the book it's a, a tahedron. Okay. And a tahedron is simply a pyramid, but it has a triangle base. Oh, okay. You know e- Egypt, the t- yeah. pyramids are yeah, yeah. Four square base. Square base. Got and it. the monolith is a trihedron, which is triangle base. And the intervals are very important. We'll get, I'll get back to the math to it. But in the movie, it didn't look right. I think a tahedron just doesn't look. And I think um, Kubrick's right. We need something of a solid structure. Yeah. So either, right. in the movie, in the book, it's I think it's transparent. So they had this transparent. Yeah, okay structure yeah. it didn't really cinematically doesn't work okay but i think if they do black and he understood if you do black and paint it black you can see you know put a handprint on it you could see it yeah so i think that reference of a looked like a very perfect shape yeah right very perfect shape well, and i think too the, the how matte it is you know it doesn't yeah. shine at all it, it absorbs everything and it has such a physicality such a presence yeah. And a, like a commanding and an unsettling kind of presence. Like, I think it's just brilliant, the shape and the size. And uh, and then the shots where the, the sun is rising or setting or whatever it is over it. the top of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, just that is if you if you can't get into that, then I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's something you got to reevaluate while you're watching movies, I guess. So uh, the, the point that I was going to try to make with the numbers is my wife is a math teacher and uh, Arthur G. Clarke was obsessed with mathematics. Okay. And he used this as a reference for the ratio of the monolith is the numbers that are of square root. So we know that one and in the next number that square root is four, right? One. Four square root is two, nine square root is three, 16 square root of four. Okay. So he knows that that, but the intervals between the next square root is always odd number. So one to oh, four is three. three. Got it. Four to five, four to nine is yeah, five. five. Sure. Nine to 16 is six. So he thought this was very much the structure of square roots in the intervals was very much um, like almost existential okay and then something of beyond human consciousness that okay. there's some kind of you know kind of harmony to mathematics that's presented yeah they cool. couldn't do that is what the tetrahedron is it's uh it's the first of the intervals of the between the between the squares yeah the, okay got yeah it. they used that so then was the next one then four-sided and then the and then so a, a pyramid and then was the right. next one a five-sided on jupiter or whatever maybe i think so but i think the the base was started of this and i think for him the collaboration collaboration was carl sagan of numbers would be the first you know they use that in contact yeah right well, they, and on the, the thing we of, shot out into space, right? We put a bunch of math. What what right. is it called? The 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 Cassini or what is it? The thing I that's way. You know what I'm talking about. I know they, what I'm talking. I know what that you, gold record and right, it's got. Yeah, a, it's Carl Sagan, the gold record, and it yeah, and it yeah, plays. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's on a shuttle, but it shows a picture of us, and it plays yes. mathematics and equations. Yeah, and yeah. and I think there's some music, and there might be some Louis Armstrong or uh, something uh, on there. Johnny too, Be Good. Oh, is it Johnny Be Good? That's amazing because he is his, his uh, Carl Sagan's favorite rock song. Nice. And he told him that that's the first round that should be shot out of space. <laughs> it's, it's the first round that should be out of this world. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that plays a part. And, you know, in Carl Sagan, I think was like the first contact with Alien has to be something of a numerical base. Yeah. Because yeah. they certainly wouldn't speak our language, right? But if right. math is a constant uh, and, and physics exists the same in all parts of our universe, then that would seem to be a good point of 
uh, being able to understand one another, engage uh, uh, intelligence, right? I know uh, living with a math teacher is kind of weird how, and I hated math as a kid, and I still kind of <laughs> do. And I always tell students, you know why I do my math homework? Because I can get it done. I don't have to worry about and struggle with it. I get it done in five minutes, so there I don't have go. to do it anymore. There you go. But I, I think that the, the funny thing about math, that a lot of math theories are proven going the opposite way. Proving the negative first, therefore it has to be the other. Oh, way. I see. Okay. Concentrate on if the. If we op- disprove everything, disprove it, will, it first, we'll only be left with one thing. And right. Then, okay. It's almost weird how all majority of math problems are solved by going instead of well, this has to be true. Whoa. What if this is not true? Okay. And this has to be true. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't realize yeah. that. That's cool. Because I just don't have the logical brain that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take a little break. All right. And then we're going to come back. I want to give you your effervescence of the Stargate and yes. all that stuff. Yeah, and, gladly. Um, have you seen the sequel, 2010? I have not. Uh, it, right. it, I have a copy of it now, and uh, I, there, I and will I forget. Be soon I don't know if very it. many people know there is a sequel to this movie. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. All right. This is Angelica Norton, and this is Amber Moreno. I produce and I host a podcast called Chatty Crafties. I chat with our crafty friends about what drives them to make, perform, and create. It's not about perfection. No, it's about expression. We invite you to peer into the lives of our guests' creative processes and inspirations. We hope to excite those who assume they're not creative and support those who may have forgotten that they are. Honestly, I just want to celebrate and absorb their creative energy to try new things. So it won't sound so daunting for me to, oh, sew a swimsuit, tell a story on stage in front of strangers, or get back into painting. So find us at chattycrafties.com for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Now go make some art. sequels there's um 2010 yeah uh with roy schneider playing john the, lithgow right uh john lithgow and it's um there is a race to get to the spaceship okay it's been abandoned so there's the russians are in charge so there's a race to go to the um spaceship and okay. figure out what, the, what happened because there's nobody's responding back of course yeah <laughs> yeah and, right. and the movie 2010 is a reference of uh david dave comes back and visit his mom Oh, okay. And she's like, "Interesting." What, what happened? And he's like, the only transmission that was ever received was David say, my God, it's full of stars. Oh. So it's not in 2001. People think that's the line, but it's actually from 2010. Uh, okay. So now I'm, I'm now putting together another uh, cultural reference point because uh, that, that is uh, heavily referenced in a, in a pretty classic uh, 90s electronic 
uh, like song, and I think it's by the Chemical. Not the Chemical Brothers. Not the Chemical Brothers. No, the the Crystal Method. Really? Yeah. My yeah. God, it's full of stuff. Yes. Yep. Right. Yep. And right. that's funny. I've never I've never heard anybody say that outside of that song before. And now you've you've put it all together for me. Um, as much as uh, 2001 is like an exploration of our art house film emergence of big production and art housing together, and uh, you know, um, 2010 is more of a basically a blockbuster movie trying to emphasize explanation of 2001. <laughs> so they're like. <laughs> we didn't we weren't clear enough we didn't we don't feel like kubrick was clear enough as to what the hell 2001 meant so let's make right. another movie and try to explain it to people i don't know if i love the reason behind why they should why they made that movie but i guess so it's just, it's not the sequel that people believe because 2001 i mean people forget that was in the theater to about 19 uh, consistently uh-huh. from 1968 when it came out was in the theater consistently every week till 1973 that's incredible and i don't and it's still it's unmatched no other movie has that um, obviously, I think the other one is Gone with the Wind lasts okay. a little bit longer in theaters. Okay. But 2001 lasts that long. That's no other incredible. movie has lasted that long. Unbroken up consistently since it was opening day. And I think this is because of word of mouth. People are like, you got to see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's yeah. funny. So uh, originally when it came out, it was released in eight theaters, I think, initially. Yeah. And the the premiere, people left, streamed out of the theater at the intermission. Oh, it's very famous that the Rock Hudson went to see it and he was like, yes. what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what am I watching? What does this mean? So everybody left, right? And there was yeah. hardly anybody left over. And then the people that did stay didn't clap afterward. They just stood up and kind of filed what out. What the hell is and, this? Yeah. And yeah. so um, the critics at the time were proclaiming, you know, this is the end of Kubrick. He's messed he did, up. Really, he thought it was. He thought it was. Yeah. And then uh, it stuck around because people wanted to get high and watch the Stargate scene with the colors yeah. while they were like tripping. I know. They, and that's that was the crowd that kept it in. It was the, elevate, it the in, college kids. Yeah. College yeah. kids kept it going. Yeah, they yeah. drop acid in the movie theater during the intermission it's and then the, they go and movie. watch... Uh, watch the the colors scene and you know have an experience or whatever and then uh, because of the sustained interest from that you know word of mouth started to spread um, beyond just that oh this is the trippiest thing you can get high to and uh, and then finally uh, I guess the critics came around and and then you know saw what it really was and it's I think it's very dirty to have some kind of art house production of just something of very avant-garde it's probably an yeah. our most avant-garde explosive and like spielberg says this is the big bang of filmmaking this yeah. movie is yeah. it I I, would, you don't I get me or yeah. anybody else outside of this movie because prior to that sci-fi movies were made for teenagers to go see the drive-in yes. you know and they look right. clunky right. you know the spaceship that's <laughs> yes right? yeah and that's what the thing of a nice thing about the special effects for this 2001 is because they put a projector in the spacecraft in a small projector that shot light so you could see people moving inside this spacecraft. I, 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 yeah. I've been wanting to know how, I hadn't looked into it, how they did that. So they put a, a, a projector into a space small, where they cut out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was And it just run they, a certain loop of on people it, working people in working their in control rent, panel. Yeah. And nobody knows how they else can do it because he smashed everything afterwards. Yeah, you know right, what I mean, right? right. That's incredible. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen this, you're not sure what we're talking about. There's like a, a the, the first scene where they're like docking a spacecraft 
um, you know, they're they're landing on the moon, I think, for the first time. And inside there are these various control panels. And what's amazing is that, okay, so imagine you're you're looking into a box and uh, you know it's it's laying on its side, so the opening is facing you. And at the bottom of the box, uh, you know, which is actually the side that's touching the ground. There's a little a little space where people are working, and they're standing straight, just like you're looking straight. Yeah. And then on the next side of the box, which is now you know perpendicular to the ground, there's a little hole, and there are people standing inside of it. But they're all oriented so that you know their side is they're standing up straight. And then on the ceiling of this box space, there's a little hole, and people are standing now upside down, and everything's just getting along just fine. Yeah. And I'm going, how did they how did they film this that they were able to get all these little tiny people in these little tiny holes? And it's so believable. It is. It is. It's it is. incredible. It it's is incredible. Almost, it was incredible. And then the the uh, flight stewardess. Is simply rotating yes. the set, so she didn't really go upside down. Upside down, people. The set yep. moved right with her, yes. and I guess it was so noisy. The, the it was so annoyingly noisy that people had to put, you know, ears to things that this contraption was That's rotating wild. around that, that she could take. And then she comes out of it too. So yes, it's, it's this amazing how they able to capture the looks very convincing. Oh yeah, it's stunning. Yeah. It's and and I really wish that people would get back to using practical effects like this because they stand the test of time. This movie is 50 years old and it blows my mind that it is so believable. And now whenever you see a special effect and you go, well, that's obviously computer generated. They didn't do any of those things. And it's disappointing that we've regressed so much in terms of being able to create something that you can sell as real Right, that has right. A, a tangible feeling of reality. Um, they just don't do that anymore. Everything looks yeah, because it's it's cheaper it's just, just it's to computers. just put it up on a laptop and right. go in the basement and right. do it instead of right. just making an actual prop. Yeah, and putting an idea or work out a problem. How do we make, make people look yeah. like they're in there? Right. Yeah. Um, the Stargate scene. Um, gosh, when you first saw it, it had a look because there's nothing like that. Yeah, and still to this day, if you watch it, I mean, it is a beautiful. Yeah. It's stunning, and it, it's nice. You know, the interesting thing about the Stargate, the interesting the Stargate is the reference of time because you look like you're going fast. Yeah, very. And then when you cut back to Dave, yes. it looks like he's still. Yeah, he's like frozen. Yeah, so yeah. it's nice play on the differential of going. Out. I think they're trying to emphasize going outside of time. Space and time, yeah, Space for sure. Time. Oh, yeah, which looks. Uh, I think that that uh, juxtaposition, I, I that word, but it looks. I think that what makes it more important. It looks like Dave's standing still, but you know he's traveling somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 incredible. It's yeah. Again, the fact that they had no computer aided anything in being able to create this effect, and it's not just like creative. Lighting, like they could have, you know how they they used to do the psychedelic where they drop colors and oil, and right, they, you yeah. know, like the. Uh, in this, they they were um, twenty foot by thirty foot paintings, and they they rigged up a camera so that you could only see parts of it at a time, and then they ran it on a track so that it gave you know the illusion of movement, and every frame evidently it took it took four minutes to um, expose every single frame. They ran this thing for continuous months 
on end to achieve this shot. That's the level that they went to. They invented a camera. (laughs) They painted these things that are 30 feet tall by 20 feet wide. And and they spent four minutes per frame to uh, expose the images. And and it it goes on forever. I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not, it, and it never once gets old or tired or like, okay, I, I've seen this effect now, guys. No, I just, it, I'd watch that for three hours. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say the the emphasis of that is what you're leading up to, right? The whole movie's leading up. You're leading up to something, and then you get this point. Because once you get beyond it, then you get into what the domain. Yeah. And then you, what, what is that? That's right. a big change because all yes. of a sudden it's quiet. Right. And that is a big change. And I had to, for people that, what, what the hell is yeah. going on? Right. So I took my wife to see it at, right. uh, at when we saw it on the on the film print. And what she was had her never history? seen it before. What was her she had never seen it. Never been and on she's a radar. A film, she's a film buff. She took film classes in college. Okay. She's a very, um, we have very similar tastes in movies. Um, but she doesn't skew so far into the sci-fi thing. And so it just yeah. wasn't really on her radar. Sure. Yeah. And um, and she came away from it really liking it, but not knowing what it meant or what had actually happened. Right. <laughs> and that's something that I appreciate is if you watch it a few times, I think you're going to get it. I think you're right. There's a certain plateau. Yes. Don't stop watching. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This actually is one of those things I encourage rewatching. Oh yeah. Not right away. Right. Give it a it, let it breathe. I think the, a little like while, I said, the intermission yeah. is very important because you need to digest. Yes. And it's very the hilarious part is there's not a lot of dialogue involved in this. Not no. a lot of screenplay. Yeah. But, um, I think you're right. The more clarity, the more you watch it. Yeah. And that's it's so nice that it doesn't reveal it. That's why I was saying earlier that 2010, it's frustrating to me that they felt like they needed to make another movie to explain the other movie as if it were unexplainable. But it's not. And so yeah. so now leading back, going back to the question you asked me, you know, do you, what do you what do you feel like that was all about? I mean, I, I think that the narrative is there and it's I don't think I'd be incorrect in saying these aliens wanted to have an influence on the our uh, on our evolution. Yeah. They figured that by the time we'd have gotten to the moon, we were ready to evolve again. By the time we got to Jupiter, we were ready for the next step. And the final, that final, the landing place where he right. ends up is now the observation of what is this creature that we've invited I think it's wonderful. here i think it's very important as kubrick and Descartes use that the domain then is humans point of view what they thought our home should look like yeah right it's their perception this is home for you right yeah you right yeah it's all yep this is probably the most of top notch what you consider top notch domicile yeah you, right, right right here's Come. your zoo we we've made it feel like home right <laughs> We got it right, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and then on your deathbed, we're going to throw another one of these monoliths at you yeah. uh, so that you can quake in fear as you're approaching oblivion. <laughs> and if and if we feel like you've uh, right, passed the, our test, we'll evolve you I've for the never, final Until time. talking about this, I never under, this is weird because the beginning of the movie, it's very frightening, right? Yeah. It's very like... And it's a monolith structure. It doesn't have any personality. Right. It's just there, right? Right. It's just a but black box. All of a sudden, they're all. It's very frightening, scary, cringy, yeah, eerie. Right. But at the end, it's almost like warm and 
Did you yes. feel like it? Did you feel it was comforting? Yeah, ah. it's try. It gives a perception like it's trying to do whatever. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No, I don't know. I or, feel we, like I'm just like Kubrick wants us to insert our own interpretation. Oh, of course, it. absolutely. Yeah. It's it's rife for that. Obviously, <laughs> right. I, I. What's unsettling to me is the scale change I, of that monolith. Yeah. Because now it's very, you know, before it is at least two stories tall when it shows up for the monkeys. Right. Yeah. And now it's in front of the deathbed and it's, and now- it's, uh, it's kind of a human size thing. And so maybe, you know, are we saying now we've evolved in the monolith is now within our grasp or our reach and it does evolve him one final time to the star child or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and what's up with them making the star child, the front cover image when you buy it on Blu-ray. I know it's almost like you're giving out the WTF guys. Yeah, I know, right? Like yeah. you know, don't assume that everybody's seen this. You it's know? weird to see the doll is on display somewhere. Oh really? Oh, you know, I, ooh, okay. I, if you Google cool. it, the 2001 oh, doll, and it looks as eerie as you think oh, it is. Nice. <laughs> it's, That's great. It's a big infant. It's yeah. like four foot tall, big oh, infant. Oh wow! That, but yeah, I, and it's amniotic interstellar. Right, it's sac. not in the color. It, it's is hat mate and it has the eyes and everything it looks like a brain I do want to see this thing you know, that'd be but amazing it, yeah but I, I think the overall the movie is pretty much moving beyond your dependence right I think so tell me more what you mean by that oh d- dependence on machinery oh I see what you're depending saying depending on tools to get you where you need to go and then you're probably rebooting the whole system yeah evolving past I, hmm. that's how I see it okay I mean everybody there's Oh yeah, you Google oh, two thousand one yeah. theories and it's oh, gonna yeah, blow right. up your phone. Exactly right, exactly right. <laughs> but I, that's how I see it: is every marker has been an evolutionary technological achievement, and once you reach the pinnacle, now you can restart all over. Yeah, without using well, dependence s- of machines and kill each other without doing it. Oh, oh, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Because every step has been some kind of marker of death, right? Of David's friend, the hell. Sends them out in space and yeah. stuff like that. So, how great of a scene is that too? When he shoots him out of the, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, and he's just like spinning. Can you imagine aimlessly just spinning for eternity? I mean, nice you're gonna thing. die while you're, yeah. you know. Well, it's 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 a wonderful discovery that we know because we thought when the movie watched that you would be once you got in space you'd just be floating. Yeah. But now we know that eventually you're going to pick up speed and accelerate. Oh, all because ob- oh. the universe is expanding yeah, so right. fast That's that eventually you're going to pick up speed and go faster, faster, faster. It'll eventually become a light yeah. speed corpse. Just <laughs> right, you like speed <laughs> blasting into. Uh, you're not just going to drift. You're, everything is pulling up. The universe yeah, right. is ripping itself apart. Yeah. It's amazing. We have multiple different studies that we yes. have sent them yeah. the universe is expanding but it's not expanding it's accelerating it's enormously yeah. it's ripping itself apart entropy and then eventually it'll just all be quiet nothingness yeah we don't know well we don't there's a lot of different theories that we don't know what's going to happen after expansion people think sure. it's just going to expand just to nothing or eventually or it'll it's going to be like a rubber band or whatever. collapse like a rubber band and come back together mm-hmm. and and that 
that theory, the big crunch theory, buys in that maybe this isn't the first big bang. Right. That's right. all expands. Uh, yeah, an classic, oscillating. Uh, yeah, oscillating. That's one of the theories that we might be possibly a part of an oscillating pretty, big bang. Pretty Keeps wild. going. Bang, boom, bang. Yeah. And then somewhere in some infinite future from now, two guys just like us are going to be talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, the theory is there's a parallel. <laughs> Everything's there's a parallel, right? So there's opposite side of the universe is you host a podcast and I'm the guy. There you go, yeah. <laughs> And uh, and we're talking about Triple uh, X starring The Rock, as if it were the height of cinematic achievement. So fifty years old. What do you? What are the last things about before we go? Huh? It doesn't um, look fifty years old, does God, it? God, no, not at all. I am a little concerned. Okay, so I, I think I had mentioned right. They're making a four K print of it, yeah. and I'm a little concerned. That eventually, if you clean it up too much, are some of the cracks going to show? You know, I'm, am yeah. I going to still believe that those are physical, tangible objects floating in space, or am I going to be able to tell that they are two-dimensional yeah. mats over a you know another uh, painted you know, or if they are three-dimensional, am I going to be able to tell that they're miniatures? You know. Yeah. So I'm a little worried about that. Uh, and, and that was another thing that I just thought was so compelling about being able to see it in the theater on the original, you know, as, as close to original as it could have possibly yep. gotten. Um, that it just, it was real. You know, it was, it was one of the few times where cinema really felt like I am, I am really experiencing something. Well, uh, before we go on, my co-host dad, who was unable to, for health reasons, be with us, but he wanted to say, I want to reverberate um, that I've watched this movie many times, and one time in his early 20s, he finished a whole case of his favorite adult beverage, and he goes, finally, I understood it, <laughs> and I lost it. <laughs> oh, if he had only written it down while he had it. <laughs> I get it now. I get and then it you wake now. up and like, Dang. Yeah, I lost it. <laughs> and there it went. Well, I have to say, Lucas, thanks for coming over, oh, man. thanks for having me, We well, usually at the end, we say to the guests, what's your favorite movie? But I don't, Jeez. Is this it or uh, is there another? Uh, I don't, it's one of the top ones. I don't know if I have a favorite one, man. It just Does it depends. change always? I mean, mine wrote, there's a rotation. Of yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I probably have a couple of favorite comedies and a couple of favorite sci-fi movies and a couple yeah. of favorite action movies. Well, and, get, uh, well, why, why don't you, before we go, why don't you give me one that would just surprise me. Out of your, all your favorite movies, which one that I really don't know? Because we uh, usually communicate quite a bit about movies. Yeah, I guess I would say that uh, one movie that I could literally turn on at any time and right. never turn it off until it was over is Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and... Uh, John C. Riley. Yes, John C. Riley. That is, for my money, one of the funniest things <laughs> I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And it is it is fairly childish, and uh, uh, but... God, it is so. It is just so funny. There's very elements of stooges. Yeah. And Mark's oh yeah. Brothers. You know? It's oh, it's incredible. You look your best when you go to John John a job interview and you yes. wear a tuxedo. Yep. Yep. Right? Oh my God! I thought you guys were just doing this as like a for a laugh, and now I realize, oh, you guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's it's one of the it's. You know, comedies. Yeah, it's. I love. I did like that movie. Oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. It's but entirely whole, ridiculous. We just become best friends. Yeah. Oh yeah. But they act like act like they're ten. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a little bit more freedom to do that. I'm yes. sure. As an actor, the not the restrictions of just 
being going back and just be a kid and just yeah. act like children. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're the most. Who touched my drum set. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll put my balls in your drum set. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, they're, they're petulant children who yeah. are actually adult grown men yeah. and uh, boats and hose. And then I'll see you at the Catalina wine mixer, man. That's, that's what I have to say about that. Um, before we go, can you give me a good movie from this year? Yes. Uh, I would say you got to catch two. Go ahead. Uh, at least two. You got to catch Upgrade. Yes. Uh, incredible. It's bizarre. Shoestring budget. Yeah. Uh, if you like, you know, if you like Altered Carbon. I haven't, I see now, I haven't yeah. watched this one yet. Have you, have you caught that? Yeah, Is Netflix, that good? Ultra Carbon, yeah. I've seen this one, and I think I want it a little bit better. Yeah. Or uh, upgraded, sorry. Upgrade. upgrade. You like better than Altered Carbon? I think so. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I... I have told as many people as I can about it because they did it on almost no budget at all. It's Bloomhouse, right? Bloomhouse, uh, yes, yes, Bloomhouse it is. Yep. Um, they uh, didn't give it enough promotion because the movie studio said it's only going to make, uh, you know, ten million in the theater, so we're not going to spend a bunch of money on it. And I'm going, that's the most backward logic I've ever spend you, some more money. You got to spend tell money, make money. Yeah, that's right? the, that's the right? thing you tell me. Yeah. But the thing that I think is the most there's two things that are the most important to pay attention to in the movie. Number one, the acting of the main character yeah. when he does not have control over his own body and he is doing these feats of superhuman strength and agility and then watching his face and going, oh my holy God, what is happening? <laughs> How am I doing this? Yeah. And it's like a mixture of like terror and joy and impressed with his his abilities. It's almost like uh, uh, Morty when he gets that powerful arm. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's, I'm sorry. He's in, yeah. Oh my God. It's so, yes, it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, I love it. He does yeah. an incredible job. And yeah. number two, they gave... They did not care how you were going to react about the ending. They they didn't care. They just went with the best ending to any movie that I've seen in recent history. Right. And it is so expertly done uh, that I, I liked the movie the whole way through. And then the ending happened. And it, to me, was movie of the year. Ending's got to be, that's it. And I've critiqued many. Ending's got to be spot on it's perfect and it yeah. and it isn't uh i don't want to say too much about it but no but uh, ending is uh, ending is very important and when yeah. you have a great ending it oh, all this one's got a great ending. i love great endings yeah be, that's why i like a quiet place oh it had yes. a really good ending great movie good and no, right and you know yep. i hate when yep. movies have to end you know trail off and everything they get to close up this scenario and all the side stories yeah when you know when you have to end because you don't want to need to explain anything more to people it's perfect uh, so, second second movie you got to catch from this year. I got to look up the title of it. It's the it's the Thai the Thai prison. Right, the what's British that boxer. I'm looking it up right Tigers now on my a, phone. Tigers. It's a prayer before dawn. A prayer before dawn. Prayer I think is dawn. what it's called. Okay. Um, a uh, low life British wannabe boxer moves to Thailand to box in the Muay Thai boxing circuit and is a drug dealer and drug addict and goes to prison for uh, peddling drugs and they used honest to God, actual Thai prison with honest to God, actual Thai yeah, prisoners. That was the selling point. They actually use real yes. people, right? Yeah. Yes. And these are not just fake tattoos. No, that these people. Have. No, right. no. Uh, it is stunning. Have you had a chance to see it yet? No, not yet. Oh, not it yet. is stunning. And yeah. it's another one that it's a slow burner. You got to have some patience, but right. it's just, it's it just expertly, the the pacing the scene 
Right, the, and, and the lead character has kind of had this nice arc to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then again with the ending, they do something that is so cool at the end. Yeah. And just a, a little touch that I appreciated so much. So you got to stick through the first chunk of credits to catch it. Okay. Uh, just the tiniest little bit. Yeah. But uh, when they when I saw that, I just went, oh, God. It was just like, you know, the cherry on top. Yep. So nice. catch it. Endings are very important. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to say thanks for coming on, man. Thanks we have to do it me. again. We have yeah, to do it Absolutely. Yeah. But, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Of um, and then um, we'll give the update about the, your upcoming projects. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, me. appreciate so, it. Uh, before we go, I don't know. We can do the blue blue Danny or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. That, All right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. We're gonna. What? How did? We're coming. Okay. All so right. I we were just talking about ripoffs after we finished recording right, here, right. and we then I realized back. that yeah. my like one of the most exciting things that I realized in the movie theater, I had never put this together before. Okay. I'm a huge fan of the Aliens franchise. Yeah. I even am an uh, apologist for Alien Three. Alien Resurrection is a nightmare. Well, that, right? that's a. David Fincher, David Fincher and then Joss Whedon's yeah. first movie. And then, uh, mean, well, Joss Whedon wrote uh, Alien Resurrection. I still think that thing is, you know, an acquired taste. Yeah. Not for everybody. Alien 3, watch the... The uh, prison one. Yes, the prison the one. Prison and not the, not the original one, but the, uh, you know, like the recut, uh, not the director's cut, because yeah. Fincher didn't want anything to do with it. Go see the other version. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, sorry. They have aliens entirely ripped off the soundtrack for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, and it is... Just they they don't they don't even mask it in any way. You could have just taken the recordings off of 2001 and placed them into Aliens in certain scenes. So like the ominous singing? No, um, but there's like there are some um, sound effects. No, no, no. It's definitely music. It's it's music music. and melody and everything. Yeah. And uh, they I think it happens more over some of the exterior spaceship shots. Okay. And there's some spacey sounding orchestral music. And it has this very, uh, you know, very recognizable theme to it. Right. And it it dawned on me, because I've seen Aliens a lot more times than I've seen 2001. Yeah. And so by now, I, I kind of know the ins and out of Aliens fairly well. And I'm listening to this and I'm going, am I losing my mind? <laughs> or is this exactly the same song that's right. in the Alien soundtrack? It's right. the same thing. So the second I got home, I pulled up the internet and I go, Aliens and 2001 A Space Odyssey soundtrack ripoff. There are entire YouTube videos of them juxtaposing the scenes where the dude who is credited for having written the music for Aliens has used exactly the same songs. And then in one of the releases, the many, many releases over the years on DVD or Blu-ray or something, they have a conversation with um, the soundtrack guy. The guy who the, the the composer. Okay. And he is complaining about he had so little time to write music for aliens. And they were doing like just uh skirting every deadline they could and all the budgets that they they, they as close yeah. as they could get them. And so they had so little lead for him to be able to write music he was basically writing music until a couple of weeks before the movie hit the theaters for aliens okay no and this dude just 
blatantly <laughs> ripped off 2001, and it is just not even not masked even. in the least. You've got to go check out these YouTube videos where people are are showing the juxtaposition. That's it's amazing incredible. because I thought always Aliens was borrowed from 2001 because because they use a line in space nobody can hear you scream. Sure, yeah, which yeah. is a focal point of a yeah. conversation for 2001. The other time they ripped off 2001 is remember the Godzilla movie that just came out. Not King of Monsters, the new one, but this latest one that had um, uh, uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Okay, yeah, yep. Go back to the trailer. Okay. And when you see the guy sky jumping, they use the 2001 uh, the, yeah, the music. Yeah, yeah. I stood up in the theater and go, that's 2001. <laughs> I'm out of here. You ripped that up. They totally used the choir singing when they, uh-huh. you know, the moon landing. Yeah, They sure. used that in the trailer for okay. Godzilla. I was like, well, if you think no, that's it, an egregious ripoff, you got to see these aliens. <laughs> it is just, oh, it's shameless. It's All right. incredible. All right. Thank you for turning this thing. I had to tell somebody. We got it all. Thank you very much. All right. That's it. All right. Now we got it good.